This podcast is exclusively created for men searching for greater ways to connect to their queen and children on a deeper level and build keystone habits that will impact and enhance their movement, mindset, spirit, lifestyle, business, and legacy. Fathers of the Future is about the power of true, authentic storytelling with one sole purpose, to build a better dad. My name is Luke Kayem, and I am a father of the future. Welcome back to the Fathers of the Future podcast. I am in Los Angeles, California with my good friend, Andy Petronic. The term OG is one that I've used for almost a decade now. When I first heard of this man, one of my good, good friends and fitness professional colleagues, Chris Lalane, who first introduced me to CrossFit said, hey, there's this former Marine that is teaching people how to run and operate their CrossFit business at a very high level. And it's extremely expensive. I'm going with my wife. And when I get back, I'm going to teach you and your wife everything that I learned. That was a decade ago. And since then, we've gone, we've spent a lot of time together. Um, We've always been connected together. But I do call you the OG. Honestly, I I, I look at you more as uh, a big brother and somebody who I want and who who have always wanted to emulate uh, from both my business model as an early CrossFit adopter, um, then leading into a completely digital business. And then now just, um, being, being the man, you're, you're one of the fittest men that I know. And, and you wrote a book about your, your fitness journey. Let's just take it back. Let's go pre CrossFit. Thanks for that introduction, by the way. <laughs> like I, um, I, I feel honored that you would I feel that, I mean, it's such an honor to be thought of that way. I don't often even think of myself that way. So um, hearing it is both hard. I don't know what just happened. Yeah, we're... Oh, there you go. Yeah, we're good. Um, Hearing it is both hard, but, you know, like I've learned, I got to let that stuff in, you know, and and it touches my heart. So thank you. Yeah. Well, it's real, man. You know, nobody gets on this show unless A, they're a phenomenal father and B, they're an amazing man. Uh, C is everything else. (laughs) And and, and that shit means a a lot less than those first two pieces does. Right. But the reality is, man, you know, uh, I, I learned A, how to run a very high level successful business model by going through your biz program circa 2008. Mm hmm. And ultimately, uh, my wife and I sold our, our affiliate because I saw you also go down that road. So let's, let's go back to, man, where do we want to start this thing? Let's go back to, um, let's go pre-Marine Corps. What were you doing then? And when, when is that? And ultimately, why did you join the United States Marines? The crucible is the most challenging mental, physical, and spiritual day of your entire life. This week's episode is brought to you by The Crucible. What is it? It's an intense training for men that will awaken your primal power. It will ignite the spark inside of you so that you can wake up on fire and win the day. 
every day. This course is 20 years in the making of literally throwing myself into the pit of every type of training out there from seal fit to warrior to Kilimanjaro to Tony Robbins to world's toughest mudder endurance races. It is by far one of the most extreme programs on the planet for the simple fact that it's not just physical it's mental it's not just mental it's spiritual it's not just spiritual it is emotional and it's not just one of those things but it's all those things wrapped into a visit from the ghost of christmas past this is the first time we've really gotten into the depth of what this program is about for the simple fact that we have three dates on the calendar here in Scottsdale, Arizona, going into the best season of the year. It's also the most stressful season. It's the time of year that most people relax. They take their foot off the gas, they get their ass kicked by their family or their work or the weather, and the excuses pile on so that when January comes, they're ready to start another day and another year and another decade which is a bunch of bullshit. So we're sharing what this program is about. For those of you who have been committed and dedicated listeners of the Fathers of the Future podcast, The Crucible, October 18th, November 8th, December 6th, Scottsdale, Arizona. One day, two to four brothers, myself, one coach, 13 to 15 hours. What do you do? You go to the website, fathersofthefuture.com. You complete the application within 24 to 48 hours. I personally will reach back out to you to schedule your interview. And during that interview, we will see if you are a good fit and if you are accepted into the program. But understand that this is not for everyone. There's a select few individuals, those who are committed, those who plan on showing up, those who will invest in themselves, understanding that they don't know everything and that they have to continue to grow and expand in the arena of life in every area, not just one, in order to be multidimensional, in order to be a father of the future. And if this sounds like you, go to the website, do the work, and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Whew. All right. Uh, you know, the Marines. So I got to go back to my, my upbringing, my childhood. Um, I was, I was born in a family of musicians, like classically trained, high level conductor, violinist, pianist. Um, everybody in my family was, all I knew was growing up was music. And uh, it's funny because Julia and I regularly will will say I, there's a lot of references to pop culture that I don't have. But ask me what that piece is playing on a classical thing, and I 90% of the time can tell you at least who the composer was. Um, and uh, I played a shit ton of instruments. I probably played 10 different instruments by the time I was seven or eight years old. Um, the one that stuck when I was, when I was five, 
I asked my mom and dad for a trumpet for Christmas. And God, I have no idea how a trumpet got into my brain that I wanted to play the trumpet, but they got me a cornet because I was a little dude and a uh, trumpet was really long. So they got me a cornet that would be easier to hold. And um, it was, you know, I, I, <laughs> my mom tells a story that I actually picked up the phone and called a, a, one of their colleagues who was a brass teacher, a trumpet teacher. His name is Jim Schrote. Um, and I arranged for my first trumpet lesson. I'm like, I, I got my trumpet. I got my ready to go. And now I'm, I just called Mr. Schrote and I'm going to go take my first trumpet lesson. I was six. Um, and that became my, that became my, my thing. I was a trumpet player. I, I played bass guitar. I played bass. I played drums. I, you know, played everything, but, but, um, uh, the trumpet was my love. And so really that's all i knew and i gotta ask you your dad uh what was he like he's a conductor he was an orchestral conductor violist very um you know i didn't have a real close relationship with my dad he was gone a lot he was the superintendent of music in montgomery county maryland and uh he started also this music festival camp in in maryland this is before the days of like all these summer camps it was called maryland center for the arts uh, it was a two-week art camp, arts camp. So it was dancing and and art, real art. Not not that the other arts are not real art, yeah. but you know, like painting, yeah. that kind of art. Yeah. Um, there was music, there was uh, photography, and uh, I was around all these artists all the time, all these teachers all the time, because there was nowhere for me to go other than to go with yeah. my mom and dad, because they were both instructors. And um, But I didn't, you know, he was very busy with his students, with his career, with his life, and he was an alcoholic. Mm. So um, I don't have a lot of memories of hanging out with him, spending time with him. I have a lot of memories of listening to him playing viola or listening to his students behind a closed door playing. Um, and uh, I don't have a lot of memories of him, you know, as a, as a, like, I don't remember him being drunk a lot either. My mom tells me stories about that. Um, but not a lot of presence of my dad. I, I, I spent quite a lot of time with my grandfather and he, I think he helped to round out, but I think I always missed my dad. It was always a search for, you know, I wanted, I want my dad. I want that, that masculine presence, which is what brings me to this, the Marine Corps. You know, when I um, was, was looking at colleges and I went to a college fair I, uh, I really didn't have a, well, I knew I wanted to play the trumpet. So the two schools I looked at were the Eastman School of Music and um, uh, Northwestern because they had the best trumpet teachers, I thought, in the world. They, it was Charlie Geyer and, and Vince, Vincent Chickowitz. And um, I uh, auditioned at both schools. I got into both schools, which now it's like crazy. There were the East school of music took four trumpet players, um, Northwestern. I don't know if they took four or six. Um, you know, my classmate at Eastman is now the principal trumpet player in the Chicago symphony orchestra. And another one was a principal cornetist at the, in, in the Marine band. And, you know, like the president's own Marine band, not the, the one, the one, that they recruit music school people for. So I was among very elite company in this musical world. 
uh, when I went to Eastman. But I also, when I was going to this college fair, my mom was like, hey, you know, you could, my, your grandfather was in the Navy, your your dad was in the Army in World War II, um, you know, why not look at a scholarship, maybe an ROTC scholarship? And I kind of applied on a whim and I got the scholarship, which was, you know, I didn't really expect. I wasn't an athlete. I was not athletic, really hardly at all. And um, it was really kind of an experiment, you know? I remember they told me before I showed up at, uh, at college, you know, you had to be able to run three miles. Like run three miles? I don't even know how far three miles is. I, I remember going out, this is before the days of apps and all the, crap now i i mapped my 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 development and then i went out and drove the the courts the cul-de-sacs and i put down the distances of each one and i created little courses for myself of where to go and and um you know pull-ups and sit-ups and um it was all it was all very cool for me i remember when rocky three came out or rocky three or four uh the one with drago i think that's four um how inspired I was. And, you know, I got a set of weights in my basement and I started, you know, like, and it was a, it, it would, it filled a hole for me, the idea. And it was the Navy first. It wasn't the Marines. Um, it filled this hole. It was like, almost like, you know, like there's this, there's a kid's story about the, this duckling that falls out of his nest and always looking for his mom. Are you my mom? Are you my mom? Like looking for the thing that was the mom. And, it, and I feel like, are you my dad? Are you my dad? Where's my dad? And where's the masculine part? And maybe the Navy or the Marines, the military would fill that hole. I don't think I, I didn't know that at the time. How but, old, how old were you? Uh, 17, you know, 18. And then when I got into it, you know, I didn't realize I wanted to be a Marine until I was in my second year of school. And I, I knew I, I wanted to be a pilot, but I couldn't be a pilot because of my eyesight. And um, we spent a week with each branch of the Navy in a summer program called Kortramid. And it was, uh, a spent, we spent a week with the, um, a week with the air, you know, flying. I, fl I got to fly in a jet in the backseat of a jet where we did all kinds of trick stuff and I didn't throw up, which is unbelievable. Um, I, we spent a week on a sub, I went, you know, underwater. It was, it was really, really cool. Then we spent a week with the surface Navy, which included the Navy SEALs. And then we spent a week with the Marines. And while the SEALs were great, I, it was also an eyesight thing. I couldn't, it wasn't even an option for me. And when I came away from that week, you know, the distinction I got in the Marine Corps what, from the Navy was that, Every Marine officer, which I was going to be a Marine officer after graduating college, was required to be able to do the things that any Marine could do, you know, fire a, a rifle and be a, you're a, you're a, every Marine is an infantryman first. And uh, no matter what your job, you're a cook, you're a, you're a motor T guy, you're an officer, you're enlisted, it doesn't matter. And there's a, the uniforms, you know, cam up, cami working uniforms everybody wears the same uniform navy's not that navy's very different and uh i like that i like the leveling of that and um so much so that if i could look at your business model at cfla you guys were were really the first to do that to bring instructor training programs in and to empower your members to eventually become coaches to eventually become owners yep yep yeah no, it was, um, that was an important, that was an important thing. And I think that was really the, 
piece that I was looking for. And that, that became the masculine component. It was almost like a rule book. And I was really good at it. I, I was a really good Marine. I followed the book. I knew, you know, anything I needed to know how to do was there's a SOP for it. There's a manual for it. And I was able to follow it. It was, it's interesting when I got out, I, I rebelled against quite a, quite a lot of that stuff. Um, well, we had I, an operations manual at our gym that, that became part of the sick fit, uh, ultimately the licensee program. Mm -hmm. So we got that from you, which yeah. means that you, we took, did do a lot of that stuff. Yeah. yeah we built a lot that of that into your business. Totally. Structure, standard systems. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's how, that's how I got there. I, I loved my time as a Marine. And then I knew when I, when I approached my four year point that I, I knew that there was just more for me in the world. Like I knew that, well, my thought was if I'm going to get out and not do 20 years, cause there's a, there's a big advantage to doing 20 years. You get a retirement, you get, you know, like there it's a, it's, it's great if you do 20 years, but I, I knew I wasn't going to do 20 and I figured, well, if I'm not going to do 20, then why stand for like six or eight? You know, like that doesn't really move me forward in life and I might as well start the rest of my life sooner. So that's what I did. And I, I got out, I, I, um, um, went into the civilian world, which was a big shock to the world, shock to the system. Yeah. So what was, what was your career like? What was your first job? And then ultimately how did you transition into physical fitness and being a trainer? Yeah. So I, uh, I got a job. Well, I went to a recruiter to not a military recruiter, but a, but, a um, a headhunter because I didn't know what, I didn't know anything, you know? And, uh, he started putting me in front of companies interviewing. I had also scheduled a, a bike ride across the country, um, right as I was getting out. And, um, it, it got in the way of interview. Like I, there were a few interviews, few job offers that I had sitting on the table that I had to let go of because I was going to be gone for a month riding my bike across the country. So, um, I got a job with a specialty chemical company. It's called, it was called Betts Laboratories. And I was a chemical engineer slash sales rep. I had a company car. I worked out of my house, um, computer. It was right in the days when AOL was just starting. Dial-up internet was starting. So you've I got mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. And I, PowerPoint was just beginning. So I started to convert a lot of the stuff that they had done manually i started to convert it into these powerpoint slides and these you know i was kind of an innovator that way and uh was very successful at it but i but it was a job and uh i remember being you know two or three it was probably three years into it and i had learned about the eco challenge i i'd been i'd been doing things like outrigger paddling and uh mountaineering the marine corps really opened my eyes to this whole world of adventure and physicalness and, you know, mountain, you know, mountain biking, snowboarding, skiing, uh, mountaineering, climb very near a few times. Um, and when did Los Angeles become a permanent staple? Well, I, I, just, the Marine Corps moved me out to California mm. and, uh, I just stayed. I, I, I was, I had, I was engaged when I got out of the Marine Corps and, uh, that broke off and, but, it, but I didn't go, I stayed you know, I, they were, she was in Orange County and then, and then I moved up to LA and I got my job here in LA. So I just stayed here. And, um, uh, where was I? <laughs> so what, what I'm hoping for in this, and it'll come out in a minute here is uh, that the listeners get a chance to hear what I call one of the most infectious laughs on the planet. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> feedback yeah. where the fuck were you andy <laughs> <That's right. laughs> i don't know where i was so that's a win for everybody so you 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 took this job in uh, oh yeah it's chemical chemical research. yeah chemical <laughs> sales and um i uh um I also discovered this thing called the Eco Challenge. It was the first time it had ever been Mark. Burnett, it was Mark Burnett's first venture into reality television, and um, I became completely obsessed by. I got to do this. Like I, I'm not just going to look at this. I'm doing this, and um, I drove. I heard about it on the radio. I drove to Burbank, which is where their offices were. I. Fortunately, you know, I was doing well financially and I cut a check for $10,000 on the spot. That was the, that was the fee for your team to get in the challenge, uh, to get in the eco challenge. And, um, uh, didn't have a teammate, didn't have, didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. This was in like maybe October and the race was in May. And, uh, I put up an ad at Gold's Gym. I, I I did have a buddy that was interested. He didn't commit to doing it, and he actually became my teammate. And I uh, put up an ad at Gold's Gym. I put up an ad in Adventure 16, and I found people. And um, I'm still friends with most, well, almost all those people. How'd you guys do? Uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, not terrible. It was a year of of training. We trained all the time. I mean, we were doing these crazy training things. You know, we'd, we'd hike the, the length of the Santa Monica mountains, which is about 60 miles. And then we had some people up there at the North end and they would, they met us with canoes and we launched canoes into the Pacific ocean, mind you, which is a stupid idea. Uh, a canoe without an outrigger, just a canoe. And, um, our plan was to canoe back to Santa Monica. Um, if you know the Pacific ocean at all, that it's just a, it's just dumb. We got in the canoes at, at like four in the af- uh, like two in the afternoon. So sundown, sun went down. You know, we we actually ended up shipwrecking in Malibu, which was hilarious. We were we were at a restaurant called Joffrey's. We we beach we beached the canoes, and we had to call our friends to come. You know, we had to eat crow and call our friends to come pick up our canoes. <laughs> Didn't make it. And then then we got some like four hours of sleep that night. And then when the next morning we got up and mountain biked. So it was a you know, it was a really, really awesome year. But when the when it came time to racing, we just weren't, you know, no idea really how to approach this. We're young. We we went hard. We, we took a couple of my teammates got injured within the first you know twenty four hours, and um, it just became a debacle. And then I continued to go down that road for two or three more years, doing more long distance adventure races. It, it culminated with. We, uh, we, we entered a race in Malibu, which was a quali- the only time they ever did a qualifier race for the Eco Challenge. And um, my t- team entered. We were the last team to enter. I didn't really know we were going to do it. My teammate was, one of my teammates was Rebecca Rush, who now is a very famous endurance mountain biker. She didn't mountain bike at all prior to doing this. I had to teach her how to mountain bike and get on a bike, and she was terrified of doing it. And um, uh, the... Uh, our, we, we won we won the race it was with like 50 teams and we won this race and that that and that entered us into the australian eco challenge and we went down there we um we were in first we were in, you know in the top five teams going in the over like three days and then something happened to one of my teammates which we never really figured out i think it probably was just dehydration but he 
had all the symptoms of being bitten by like a brown recluse spider. Like it was gnarly. We thought, holy shit, he's dying. And so we had to call for non, you know, call on the radio and that disqualified us from the race. And so that was my last, I, I never finished. I finished that. I finished the first race we did, but not with a full team, but I never finished a long distance. One of the, you know, the 400 mile races with a full team. Um, but then I started doing the short ones, like the one in Malibu. That was a 36 hour race. And then the really short ones, the sprint distance, which were like four hours and had tremendous success doing those. Um, we, we got sponsored by Red Bull and we did race after race, probably did 60 or 70 races. And, usually and at in the this top. time, are you getting into personal training yeah. in the gym world? Yeah. So, yeah. um, people started asking me what I was doing. I went back and I got a massage therapy certification. And, um, so I was doing massage therapy and then people were asking me what I was doing for my own fitness and how I stayed in shape. And I like, Oh, I can show you. And so I started to train people. And then I went back to UCLA and got a, a, uh, kind of a fitness associates degree. It's like a two year program. And then I went to the Czech Institute and I started working with Paul Czech and, um, you know, kind of cut my teeth on the, the basic, it wasn't really basic. It was like advanced biomechanics and, um, corrective exercise. And, um, and then I was going down that road. I was racing. I was training my clients. I built a clientele and I, um, stopped racing kind of trying to figure out what, what am I going to do? How I was, I was, I remember being online. I was looking for like online training and how people, trainers were doing online training. And, uh, I bumped into CrossFit and I, and this is what year? This is in 2004, beginning of 2004. So like 2003, 2004. Did you have the blue background on the site? Was it that old to where? No, it wasn't the blue background. It was the yellow. It was the one they had for many, 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 many years. Um, but it was, uh, I remember being confused by the site. I'm like, it's all free. Where's the paid for part? You know, cause everything was being, was behind a paywall and there was nothing behind a paywall at CrossFit. And I just decided I got nothing to lose. I mean, this doesn't sound like I read the, what is fitness article? And I was hundred like it was like wow this guy is channeling my brain this is what i this is how i do this this is how i think this is how i believe and um i i didn't think some of the things he was saying was possible like i didn't think it's possible to have the kind of fitness he talked about having in 20 minute workouts that would affect your endurance because i came from the endurance side and so i just like well what the hell i'll try it and um i went out and i ran a 5k which i wasn't at peak condition I'll just say that I was not at my peak speed. I think, I think the 5k took me like 21 and a half minutes, which is kind of slow for a professional adventure racer. Um, and then I did nothing but CrossFit workouts for three months and I came back and I, you know, which meant a big drop off in the volume of training that I was doing. And, uh, I shaved when I went back and did that 5k, I shaved, I think I was down to, uh, I shaved like two and a half minutes off the 5k time. I'm like, holy crap, this does, this does work. This is unbelievable. I haven't been running. <laughs> like, it's like a miracle. I don't have to run constantly to, to, to be a faster runner. And I get to, this was fun to me too. I mean, 
you know, it's, it's a little masochistic to think that CrossFit workouts were fun, but they were fun. And, um, I was like, I was hooked. I went up to Santa Cruz. I did a cert with, there were like four people in my cert with coach Glassman. And, um, there were a lot of trainers that they were, they had come, they were locals and they were coming for their second, third and fourth time. So there were more people there than four, but, uh, it became, that became my kind of obsession. And I started converting clients to doing CrossFit. And then I decided I was going to open up a, a box, a gym. And, um, and when I met you, the video content that you were sharing was actually at your previous space mm -hmm. before CrossFit Los Angeles, yeah. which was a personal training studio or a that was my gym. first gym. That, that was, was my first gym. gym. So I was working in another gym. I had a little office in another gym and that was, um, all my clients would come to me there, but I, I wasn't free. I was doing CrossFit workouts there, but it was, it was like being in a globo gym. I was, I was constantly, you know, moving equipment around, trying to create space for myself. And then I, I would, I'd be a heaping mess of, you know, sweat and, and heave and, and breath on the floor. And it's kind of a gentrified, you know, you know, it's, it was a weird, it was a very weird thing. Uh, and when I opened my space, Patronic, it was very small. It was, it was probably a thousand square feet, maybe 1200 square feet. And it was a, in a back alley. So my first studio in 2001 was inside of a chiropractor's office. It mm -hmm. was a little bigger than this room. <laughs> uh, right. I think it was like 375 square feet. Right. And then my first affiliate, which was in another hair salon, which came in at 750 square feet. And we had to remove one of the uh, AC shafts to put the pull-up bar in and I learned how to do muscle-ups on the Smith machine. Wow. With about a six inch strap. Right. Fully in false grip, starting with the elbow bent. Yep. But because of that, I could convert right. all day long. Right. And you think about going back to those early days, you know, fast forward now, 10, 12, 13 years later, we we don't need anything anymore. Right. And that's been the progression of both of our, you know, I've been watching you and how you've progressed from competing in endurance races to CrossFit and going to the regionals. Mm -hmm. to, uh, and going the to games. the games. Oh, yeah, wow. going to the games. Going to the games, yeah. Uh, until ultimately, you know, your daily routine now is 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 air squats? Uh, it's something, some version of that. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't, I, I'm not real rigid about what I do, but I, I find that mobility for me is more important than strength. And not that I'm not strong because I, it's funny because I go back to the gym probably now like once a week and do a CrossFit workout and I'm still heads and tail, you know, heads and shoulders, heads yeah. and shoulders above most of the people that are there, which were all my old clients. So I'll and, take a um, meditation over a strength workout now. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I will literally sit down for 10 or 12 or 15 minutes to just be in my own silence Whereas in the past, you know, that decade of high intensity training, I would never skip a workout. I would never skip a squat day, yep. knowing that that would progressively move me closer to a faster time or a better score. Yep. And because of that, I crashed my central nervous system twice. Yep. And, you know, although I love high intensity training, I actually have joined 
a CrossFit gym in Scottsdale as of recently because my son and I and my daughter and I can go and train mm -hmm. and they welcome us. Mm -hmm. We went to a couple other hit training places that are really popular in Scottsdale and they, they wouldn't allow my beast children at 12 and 11 years old to train there. So it was like, okay, well, this is why CrossFit works. Right. Now on the opposite end of that, I, I went to another gym and dropped in and I did one of those chippers that we used to love mm -hmm. and I couldn't sit down on the toilet for five days. Yeah, no, I've had those experiences. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm like, God, I really liked being able to do that, but there's a, there's a cost and the cost for me has become too great. Mm. Like I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. I, it's not, it's not functional. It's not, it's not functional. It's, it's okay. Mm. It's, it's cool to be able to, but that's, you know, when I look around at my life, do I need that kind of fitness? Yeah. Do I need to be able to deadlift 450 pounds or back squat 300, yeah. 330 pounds or be able to do 60 pull-ups, which I could do at one point. Yeah. Like that, so that, that was your unbroken record? Yeah. 60. I think it was, it might've been 57, 50. I don't know if I ever yeah. broke 60. Yeah. Gentlemen, for those of you listening, that is unbroken pull-ups not coming off the bar. <laughs> hey, call it a kip or a butterfly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. You, you didn't come off the bar for close to 70 reps. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a lot. That record will stand. It's a lot. I don't time. need to, yeah. I don't need to do, I don't need to do that. I don't need the constant ripping in my hands and blood and, you know, like it's manly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, and I think that's come about as I'm matured into being my own man. And um, I don't need, I don't need a, a thing like the Navy or the Marine Corps or, or CrossFit or anything else to help define my masculinity. I, I, I'm, I'm much more confident now in my, who I am. And so I get to decide myself. And, um, so the decisions I make are, are much more in alignment with my family and my time and my business. And because I'm constantly checking in with, okay, what, what do I want and what do I need? Mm. And, you know, those kinds of workouts I don't need. Yeah. It's a great example. I was 49 years old. I was still teaching one CrossFit class a week. I got really excited because there was a 50 mile race up in Marin that the only race I've ever really quit was a, my first ever 50 mile run down in Orange County that I didn't train for. I, I, the longest run I did was like a 10 K. How many miles in before you pulled the, uh, the I was at flag? like 45. <laughs> oh, I mean, I was like, I was limping. They pulled me off the course. They didn't, I didn't stop. Although I, I was on the verge. My knee was, I was in PT for like four months after that. But, um, I thought, okay, this is my swan song. I'm going to be able to go back and run this 50 mile thing. And I, I, in fact, I was so excited about it. I enrolled like four other people in the class to go do it with me. They all signed up over the next like three weeks. They all signed up to go do it. It's like 10 months away. And I just started thinking about, okay, if I want to do this and I want to do it well, I don't want to go out and do it the way I did before. Cause I'd be stupid. I'd probably not finish, you know, the same way I did before I got to be training. So if I'm going to be training, how many miles do I got to put in? Not because I need to be fitter, but because I need the, my body to be able to withstand the, the volume, the, the volume. Yeah. I yeah. need the volume. Mm-hmm. 
do I want to spend my weekends that way? Mm. Do I want to go out and spend three hours away from my family mm. and be that, you know, I, I use the word selfish. Maybe it's not selfish, but then again, maybe it is. And um, do I do do I want my days to be structured around the need to get in this volume in order to satisfy this goal? And I I couldn't answer yes. And I, they all went and did the race. They were pissed at me. I mean, they had a great time, so it was all good. But I never went and did it. And I that was kind of a turning point for me. Like I was like, okay, this doesn't align anymore. And, Sedation uh, through fitness. I, I had that realization about eighteen months ago. You mean the 24-hour races that I sign up for and run 18, 20 miles on the weekend, 12 weeks out leading up to it? Spartan, the Spartan World World Championships? Yeah, yeah. World's Toughest I mean, Mudder. Fu- World's Toughest Mudder. Yeah. This is super fun. Yeah. Like, I actually was enrolled by you doing that. I was like, I want to yeah. go do that. Yeah. And then, you know, I would think through what that meant to be pre- prepared so I'm able to sit down on the toilet and not get injured for months afterward. I, I'm, I'm not... It's not where I am yeah. in my life. Does doesn't mean I'll never be there. I don't know. Yeah. You know, son goes off to college. I'm an empty nester again. Maybe. Yeah. There's I an evolution know. to it. And yeah. sometimes that evolution takes steps back and forward. Yeah. But you and I both are healthier. Maybe yeah. not fitter. Yeah. But healthier than yeah. we've probably ever been in our life. I'm 41 in a few weeks. How old are you right I'm now? I'm 50 to 52 and a half, yeah. 50, almost 53. Yeah. yeah. So when I said earlier in this podcast that, you know, I look up to him as a big brother, uh, I, I hope to God I am as healthy and as vibrant as you are, regardless of the age. But man, 11 years uh, ahead of me, you're fucking living, bro. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if I'm ahead of you. I'm you're, you're some living. part of me feels like I'm behind you're you. <laughs> How many years were you a affiliate owner in your business? Uh, well, let's see, eleven years. And 11 years. when did you know you were done? When did you know you were ready for what was next? Um. Well, when the whole life challenge had grown to a point where it became clear that it was able to sustain a, 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 a livable income for both me and my business partner, Michael, it became, and I, and I saw that business as a way from having to deal with a lot of the physical location stuff that I had to deal with as a business owner, the, the landlord, the, the, the parking spots, the schedule, the um, programming. I just was like, it's time, you know, and, um, you know, fortunately I was able to sell the gym to, to a person I love, Kenny Kane, who's Mm. been, you know, he was one of my head coaches. He was my head coach for quite some time, you know, person I love, I respect. We're great friends today. Phenomenal human being. Shout out to Kenny Kane. Shout out to Kenny Kane, man. I, I love what he's done. I'm, I'm a, I am so welcome back in that community. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I feel like an honored guest every time I walk in the yeah. door and I'm not a guest because it's like coming home. Um, and, uh, it's that I attribute a lot of that to Kenny yeah. because, um, that doesn't happen that often in CrossFit gyms. Nah. You hear about CrossFit gyms being sold and they either disappear yeah. or they change, com- they completely change. You know, the owner is gone and yeah. So we sold following you a few years later and my wife thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go back there and train. 
under a new owner and a new name. They went from a sick fit gym back to a CrossFit gym. And after the second uh, or so interaction, not only did she not feel welcomed, uh, she, she felt, you know, literally like broken down. Wow. You know, and it was like, okay, well, you don't, you don't have to go there. And this is what we taught that a lot of these businesses don't get. If you're not making your people feel better when they leave than when they arrived, yeah. you have a fucked up gym. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that because now I, I pop in all the time. I join new gyms. I go and test them out. I buy punch cards when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. I go. And within the first 30 seconds, I can tell you if yep. this is going to be a good experience or not. Because yep. I'm not in it to get fitter, stronger, faster. I'm in it to, to feel better, but also to have a great experience. Yep. We did that well yep. to where people, I'm sure, still say, man, and, and Kenny's done a phenomenal job. But people will tell me all the time, you know, gosh, I wish you guys still had your gym. Yep. Yep. Nothing we've done has been like that. People people still refer to the sectional event that we put on at, oh. at uh, UCLA. Oh, yeah. We put on this. Uh, this is back in the day when CrossFit allowed. Uh, it was the only year they did this. They allowed the sectional, which was the precursor to regionals. They allowed the local affiliate owner who was running the sectional to decide what the workouts were going to be they, yeah. they it was up to the section to send who they were going to send to represent them at the regional which was really cool and we put on this huge event at ucla drake stadium and um i was pe- a guest judge people did there yeah people today yeah. still look at back at that event and they're like holy crap that was one of the best athletic events i ever did we 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 spent a lot of time in making regular people feel like mm. they mattered mm. you know it's not this is not just for the olympians or for the you know people getting first to first to tenth place for everybody and uh we 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 spent a lot of time in making our events feel like um feel like that yeah. like they mattered and yeah. and 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 it made a difference it made we and we knew we were making a difference for them yeah you know yeah so and then you know the whole life challenge is really just taken over um, for me as my main focus at so this point. We're going to plug that right now. We, we call this moment in the podcast shameless self-promotion. <laughs> totally. If you remember, there was a few tyrants in the CF community with the same first name who would always stand up for the Wizard of Oz and uh, started with Russell and ended with Russell. There was two of those men who at some point in the game, as I was transitioning from affiliate owner to sick fit uh, owner, that they said that me speaking up for the affiliates was what we call shameless self-promotion. Well, we own that shit now. (laughs) So every episode... My guests get a chance to plug their business or whatever brand they're talking about. This is your opportunity to share with the listeners about the Whole Life Challenge and how they can get involved. And I've been a member uh, of the Whole Life Challenge going on since its inception back in the day. And it's quantifiable tracking on a lifestyle basis. It is a global community and it is a way to continue to become smarter and healthier and create better habits in the long term. That's what it's done for me. Yeah, it really it really took my own personal journey and encapsulated in inside of this game environment. And we call it a game. You play it. You don't do it. Um in fact our website is play.wholelifechallenge.com. That's the that's the playing play.wholelifechallenge.com. That's the playing site. There's not a lot of information there. 
The information is all on wholelifechallenge.com. And um, it, we, we, we boiled it down to seven basic habits, seven daily habits, nutrition, exercise, mobility, sleep, hydration, something we call well-being practices, and then reflection. And we, we decided, this is after testing and playing with it and even running a few challenges, um, that if you incorporate these daily habits into your life over time, you will establish a, you will, you will make progressive positive steps toward a life that you love, toward a, a healthy, fit, well life. You will look different. You will feel different. You will act differently. Um, and the funny thing is I started in the first whole life challenge thinking I didn't really need the whole life challenge. You know, like I'm fit enough and I'm, uh, meanwhile I was drinking Diet Coke and Red Bull and, um, eating basically whatever I wanted because I could get away with it. And, um, not meditating, not journaling, doing no real inner spiritual work on a consistent basis. I, I had, I had a coach, but not no inner work on a regular consistent basis. And, um, or if I was doing inner work, it was because I was in a program. It it doesn't, it wasn't coming from me as the source. Yeah. And, uh, I wasn't drinking enough water. I wasn't, the sleep was just, if I happened to get it, you know, I, I just lived it. I lived life by accident. Yeah. You know, and the whole life challenge gave me this structure. Oh, and never stretched. Never stretched. Yeah, you've you've doubled down on that of recent. Oh man, yeah, Yeah, it's it's a game changer. Stretching for us old guys and meditating, like, hey, dude, you're not an old guy yet. You don't count. You You, you need about eight more years. You hit fifty, then you can Uh, then you can join the club. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I would bet a sixty-something-year-old would tell me the same thing. Yeah. Um, The uh, the you know we we also were one of the first to, to talk about how it's not about quantity. It's not about intensity. Mm. It's about consistency. So set yourself up with, we didn't call it minimum effective dose at the time. Tim Ferriss came up with that for catchphrase, but that's basically what we were teaching. Do the minimum effective dose. If you want to do your exercise for the day, you got 10 minutes. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. 10 minutes. Now it doesn't mean you can't do more. But um, to qualify for your checkbox in the whole life challenge, you got to do ten minutes of exercise. To qualify for your um, med- your mobile mobility, your stretching, you got to do ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it doesn't take a lot, but if you do that every day for forty two days, which the challenge is six weeks, ten, you know four hundred and twenty minutes of mobility, it adds up. Yeah, and and and. The thing that where most people fall down is they think that the step to move forward is is a big one, and they they either won't because it's too big, they have too far to go, or they take the big step and within a week or two they're they're done because it's like a New Year's resolution. Yeah. They're they're all in, ready to go, and they go really hard, and then kablam! I got to get back to my life. Yeah, right? this isn't sustainable. Lifelong yeah. practitioners. That is truly what I believe we are both striving towards. Mm-hmm. And we, we fall into the same uh, sort of informational history as Jack LaLanne. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if we were to look back on his life, I can guarantee you we would put all of our chips in to 
to have that type of life. You know, yep. he, he think he passed away at 96. And obviously his great nephew, Chris, is a, is a mutual friend of ours. And just seeing how he lived, you know, you can go back to the beginning of it's amazing, the stuff American that, television. Yeah. He was one of the first three television broadcasts ever. Yep. It was like NBC, uh, Hugh Hefner had a, a, a show and the Jack LaLanne show. And you can go back in YouTube and watch. He was those. America's trainer, you know, back before even people had trainers. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's amazing yeah, stuff. That's great. And, and that's what I believe, you know, different paths of how we get there. But our, our living legacy is truly living what we teach and preach. I want to fast forward to you having a son mm -hmm. and you, you were not young per se. No, 40. I was 40. You were 40. 41. Yeah. 41. I've known you since before you had Dash and I know you now after having Dash and I could probably say like me, my firstborn son has made me a better human being. Yeah. What has he done to you? Uh, in terms of your connection and your purpose? And ultimately, what have you taught him that maybe your dad never had a chance to teach you that you learned along your journey? The, the changes have been profound. You know, like they changed overnight for me. And I, I think some of the decisions and choices I've made over the last 12 years have come as a result of me not wanting to live into the reality of what my dad, the reality of my dad's life, I've made it, I've set myself up so that I can be present for my son. You know, I work out of my house. I am the guy, I am the carpool dad. You know, I'm the guy who picks him up after school. I'm the one that goes to practices. I'm the one that, that takes him, you know, I set my little mobile up, mobile office up in my car with a wireless hotspot and I go to work you know, and for two hours while I'm waiting for him at soccer practice. And, um, that works. And I've been, I show up. Mm. I, I don't know that I need to do any more than that. You know, like all of me shows up mm. the, 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 uh, strong guy, the weak guy, the emotional guy. Um, I, I'm crying because I, I think about the gift that I'm able to give him that I didn't get. Uh, you know, I don't know if he'll always think it was a gift. <laughs> I see it as a gift. Um, you know, uh, the lessons that I'm able to teach him and infuse in him that never had and I never had. And um, it's it's interesting. You know, I want what's best for him. I also look at my life and go, well, I turned out pretty good. Mm. Is this necessary? <laughs> what, what will this do to change him? He, he, he will definitely grow up differently than I did. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but that's part of the coolness and joy of life, you know, is we don't know. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, it's been the, joy of my life and uh it scares me a little now he's 12 and you know that means i've got about three years two years before he really doesn't want me around and like five years before he's gone yeah you know i mean i remember when i went to college that was really it 
the, you know, I went to school six hours away on it, driving six hours away and, um, I would come home, but that was really my last sense that home was where I belonged, you know, home was home. And it, it, it's a little disconcerting inside, yeah. you know, I feel like I'm slowly getting fired. Mm. Somebody put it to me that way the other day. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm slowly getting fired over the next six years. Yeah. Um, but I can guarantee with reassurance that men like us, some of the men listening to this show who have changed their pattern, changed the pattern of what their dad did or did not do. My son turns 13 in, in 10 days and I start to get that scarcity mindset. And then I realize because we have raised them differently, because we have been there, because we have showed up and we haven't quit they're always going to come back. Yeah. And although they may not live under our roof or they may not spend every waking moment with us like they do now, because we have fostered such a phenomenal home and given them so much good that they're not going to forget it. They'll even start to probably, you know, enjoy it more later in their life, knowing that they can always come home, that they were raised the right way mm -hmm. their dad was always available to them physically mentally emotionally even spiritually that's new in this day and age that you know regardless of what our dads did or didn't do i truly believe that the tools that we have were not available to these men yep. you know yep. 20 30 50 years ago yep we've just happened to spend our entire life learning them right and now teaching them Thank you for being emotional. This, this is what this podcast is truly about, is diving into the, the depths and extracting the, the truthful, real moments of life of like, you know, there are men who are crying tears right now because they've never been a part of their son's life. You and I share this emotional place together because it means so much to us because we have been right. there every moment. And I'd much rather cry a tear that that we are now than the ones that i know my father cried of not ever 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 being a part of of our life yeah my brother andy how can the listeners get a hold of you how can they find you uh i'm at andy patronic facebook instagram you know social media and the whole life chat um, my email is andy at wholelifechallenge.com and uh i'm at you know, wholelifechallenge.com is our website. When's the next challenge? It's not till January. It's January. Uh, we do four a year. They, that's another big difference between the challenge and a lot of other health and wellness apps. We run it as an event. So uh, the next one starts on January 18th, 2020. Which is very cool because I've done some corporate coaching uh, with a company, Mace Rich. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a $16 billion company and owns real estate around uh, the country and the world, I believe. And I remember going and speaking to them early in the year. And, you know, I talked to them about uh, health and nutrition and a couple of them raised their hand and we said, We do the yeah, whole life challenge. Our entire office is yeah. in it. Yeah. So, so you do for companies and corporate as well. We do. Yeah, we, really we, cool. we let them find us typically. Like, and they do because they, somebody will play it and they'll invariably find it and they'll be like, this is this would be great for my team. And so they bring their team in and they, they do it in their company. Mace Rich has been a long time customer or client of ours. So um, they still do it today. So yeah, it's great. Phenomenal. 
if you extracted some valuable information, some content, if you just like to hear Andy laugh <laughs> on this episode, all we ask in return is that you share this podcast, text message the link to a friend, share it on your social media, give us a review and subscribe to the Fathers of the Future podcast where our sole mission is to simply have a real conversation around the power of being a father and a father of the future. And if I can paraphrase my good friend Andy back in the day to what we still use as the code that we live by, show up, don't quit. I appreciate you for being here, brother.